Chaos from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Here on the show, we talk about representation in film and TV a lot. Race, gender, sexuality, you know. Well, today we're going to talk about a kind of representation few of us think about enough. Disability. I was in the closet about being gay, and then I was in the closet about being disabled, and now no more closets. That is the voice of Ryan O'Connell. He is the creator and star of Special, a new show on Netflix. Special is all about Ryan and his character coming to grips with life as a gay man with cerebral palsy. Mom, you don't get it. My whole life, CP has been like the main course when really it just needs to be like an appetizer. Or better yet, just taking off the menu altogether. Your disability is part of you. It's what makes you... Special. I know. And I should embrace it. I know. Special's first season is out now. It's eight episodes, about 15 minutes each. Very short, but there's a lot in there, trust me. Before making the show, Ryan worked as a writer for MTV and for NBC's Will & Grace. And he published a memoir in 2015. It's called I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. Heads up for parents, we will be talking about sex in this conversation a lot. All right, here's me and Ryan O'Connell here in L.A. Enjoy. When did you know that you wanted to write? Uh, forever. I've okay. like, always been writing. I mean, okay. I've had journals since I was like four years old. Like I was writing little screenplays in my notebook when I was fifth, in fifth grade. Mm. I asked for scripts for Christmas when I was like nine. Mm. Like scripts of like Buffy and Dawson's Creek. And I would try to study the structure. And then, wow. Oh, honey, I was like, she was only built for one thing. <laughs> if this doesn't work out, I'm screwed. I literally can't do anything. I cannot do a single thing. I'm inept. <laughs> so then did you ever see yourself acting? No, I think the highest my aspirations went was that I would create and make my own TV show and write. So you knew you wanted to do that. Yeah, but never acting. I mean, I think like, I think deep, 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 and then deeper down, Mm -hmm. um, I liked performing. But I think that as a disabled person, as a gay person, I feel like we're kind of instructed to not take up so much space. So I Mm. already felt greedy wanting to make my own TV show. And I, again, this is all like subconscious. I feel mm-hmm. like now I'm realizing, like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like to say that I also wanted to be in it would, oh, that would have been too much, you know? Yeah. But now I'm like fully leaning into like the idea that I want to be the girl with the most cake and I don't want to apologize for it. Do you know what I mean? What kind of cake? Oh my God, coconut cake. I'm disturbing. I'm carrot disturbing. Cake for the oh, win. carrot cake is so good. <laughs> all I care about, by the way, uh, in terms of achieving a level of micro fame is I want to get into restaurants. That's all I care about because I'm like a foodie b- from hell. And like, it's like John and Vinny's is around the corner of my apartment. I was just at John and Vinny's. Listen. Honey, oh, how? Listen. Did you get a D- give a DNA sample? Did no. you like put down a $50,000 deposit? I still can't get into John and Vinny's. Let me tell you the secret. What? You go on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon around 2. Oh, stop you it. You put your name no. in. Then you go to the spot no. down the street and get pie. The, oh, Fiona. Spot. Fiona. Yes. Fiona's everything. Yes. And by the way, Nicole Rucker, she's the pastry chef, and Nicole Rucker is amazing. Oh. And everyone should go to Fiona. It is yes. fabulous. This fabulous. week on Goodies. I know, right? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. but like, No, I love it. Yeah. I am, I'm in this no, life. No, I get what you mean. Like, yes. But also, you go get pie, and then you eat it before you have pizza? Yeah, buddy. Do you know who I am? That's, like, really <laughs> aggressive, but I'm here for it. Thank you. But Thank you what, I, what I want to say is I want to. I, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. <laughs> for their name to be called at John Vinny's. Also, I don't like when restaurants that are that good and that popular have a space that small. Stop it. It Get is a such a power space. move. It is such a power move. Yes. It's a power move. They're it's like, not right. No, no. And 
they do it on purpose because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, they we can easily line. expand. They want the line. Anyway, yes. I really want to get into John and Vinny's. And I, I, there's been like two times since the show's come out where I've been out at dinner and someone has recognized me from oh. the show and they've given me like free stuff. And I swear to God, it's like I truly that's basically my equivalent of buying like a bungalow in Silver Lake. Like I feel like I mean, even though I really want that, I feel like I've made it. Like really? if you give me like a free glass of wine, I'm like, well, I'm Oprah. Like immediately. I'm like, are you kidding? It's like literally the highest honor. You get some it's the wine. highest honor really? I could ask for. So Okay, so this show special yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Season's out right now. It is a show that you wrote that yeah. is about you and that you star in. How did you get from that young boy who was afraid to take up space being disabled and gay to making yourself the Beyonce of your personal homecoming Netflix special? I know. I was just like, I was the Michelle Williams for so long, you know? Um, I think I just got really frustrated with seeing stories that weren't like mine being reflected Mm. back at me because I knew that my story wasn't niche even though it came in a gay disabled package I knew that the story that I wanted to tell was very universal Mm. and about the human condition so um, I knew that it was just a top 40 pop song in disguise come on you know what I mean? Yeah. A Beyonce song, if you will. Oh, yes. Um, and so I, you know, me acting in it kind of came out of necessity. There wasn't a lot of money. And I think my exec. Really? Well, my exec also at Warner Brothers thought I was an actor. And I wasn't. And then halfway through, he's like, wait, we should screen test you to see if you can play the part of you. What was your screen test? What was Your it? own lines yeah, that you wrote? Yeah, yeah. And well, I got it. <laughs> You know, like, Can you recall what you read? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't okay. remember. But now looking back at it, it's kind of insane that we thought anyone else could do it yeah. in the sense that it's just so specific. Yeah. And also like my disability, I mean, every disability is different. Mine is so specific. My physicality is so specific. So it really does make sense that I'm the one playing myself. But mm-hmm. it, it just took a long time for me to get there. And also it's taken me a long time to admit that maybe I want to act in other things. Like, mm. I don't know. Like I Because it's like, to me, I my identity is so strongly connected to being a writer Mm-hmm. And there's something about like kind of like blood, sweat, and tears about being a writer. You know, yeah. the suffering of the writer's room and acting feels a little like I don't know, all about you, narcissistic, kind of whatever. But um, I really do get a lot of joy from performing. And my mom is going to lean in now. She's yeah. not afraid. She's well, not afraid. It's working out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. How can we describe the show for folks that haven't seen it yet without giving everything away? Oh my god. Um, Special is a comedy that's not afraid to get dark. Um, It is about a 28-year-old gay man with cerebral palsy who's living a very arrested development kind of life. He still lives with his mom. Um, He doesn't have a boyfriend. He has no job, no friends, and he gets hit by a car. And he starts an internship where everyone assumes his limp is from his car accident. And in Ryan's eyes, being an accident victim is much more relatable than having cerebral palsy. So mm-hmm. he rewrites his identity as an accident victim and decides to go after the life that he wants. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, LOLs ensue. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously he realizes that running from who you are is hard, especially if you're a limp. So That is a good catchphrase. That's in the show. Tagline. It's I know it is. I yeah. love it. And yeah. every time I'm like, that was real smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should also clearly define cerebral palsy for folks that might not know too much about it. Um. Yeah. It's well. It's cerebral palsy. Kind of looks different on everybody. Mm-hmm. You can dress it up. You can dress it down. Cases go from mild to wild. Um, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> a condition that results from damage to the brain before, during, or shortly after birth, and that would be manifested through muscular incoordination. Um, in my case, I walk with a limp. Um, I have sprinklings of brain damage. Don't be jealous. 
and uh, bad spatial awareness. You know, it, it just manifests in different ways for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very lucky and very privileged to kind of have a more mild case where it doesn't affect me really on the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that was my struggle growing up because I didn't feel like I was disabled enough for the disabled community huh. and not able-bodied enough for the able-bodied community. And that's why in the show I actually, com- like, you know, I compare it to being biracial, yeah. like, in a in an ignorant way, but kind of not because there is this idea of not feeling black enough or not feeling white enough or mm-hmm. not really belonging to each culture. And yeah. I think that's a real thing that people feel, that, that sense of not belonging anywhere. Totally. Well, so, then on top of that, exacerbated by your sexuality. So on top of not knowing if you fit in with disabled folks or other yeah. folks you probably don't know if you fit in as a kid with straight folks or gay folks well I just I, I was really not loving it when I realized I was gay at 12 like I really thought really like that's just rude <laughs> like, to, give me, to give me cerebral palsy and then be like ha you're gonna be gay too uh, I wasn't loving it. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah, um, I because, can see that. Because I feel like at that time like I really felt like the gay community was um kind of really focused on looks and presentation. It was like and the age of, you know, queers folk. Yeah, and yeah like, that was what I had. I had queers folk, which was just this was guys a showtime with hard show bodies. about, like, beautiful ripped gays. Like, having sex with each other and then yeah. having, like, drama. And I just remember, like, watching it growing up and then, like, jerking off alone to, like, Ryan Phillippe and, like, Under the Covers <laughs> being like, oh, like, this is really, there's no space for me here. Like, I don't, I don't fit that mold. I'll never yeah. be the one with, like, washboard abs. Yeah. So it really, I think... I think it really messed with me. I think it really made me feel like um, I didn't fit anywhere, that I didn't matter. And I really, really was convinced that being gay was going to be a losing game. How old were you when you came out as a kid? Uh, 17. How'd you Um, do it? Oh, my God, in a really dramatic way. So, like, I... I really liked this boy at school, and I knew that in order to date him, I needed to come out to everyone I knew, I guess, because I needed, like, the freedom to pursue him. Was he gay? He was gay. Okay. And uh, I basically came out to, like, four people a day. And then everyone else that I hadn't come out to, I threw a party with a big, giant reveal. I texted everyone being like, come to my house on Saturday. You had a sexuality reveal party. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> oh did. And I and I filmed a video with my little camcorder with my friend Katie. And it was us slow dancing in my bedroom. And she tries to kiss me. And I'm like, no, I can't. It's too much. And she's like, why? And I'm like, I'm gay, <laughs> and then, like, literally, like, it was just, like, a coming... It truly, I had That was your reveal party. cake. Yeah. I had oh a coming out party. God, yeah, I you love only it. came out once. It was so chic. It's and magical. people were, like, stunned, which I'm like, LOL. Like, really? <laughs> but they were. I so love it was really fun. And then, yeah, coming out was amazing. And then I got with that boy, which was great. And, you know, fell in high school love and all those things. And it was sort of, like, very dreamy. I love it. Yeah, it's really dreamy. Yeah. And you came out as being disabled after you came out as being gay. Yeah. Does that mean that it was harder to come out as disabled than it was to come out as gay? Yeah, much, much harder. I mean, I come from a very gay family, so really? it really wasn't Do tell. an issue. My sister uh, is, like, heteroflexible. My uncle is gay. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was gay, too. All right. Yeah, yeah. So it was very much, like, in my DNA gay. Like, she couldn't get away from it. <laughs> it's been there. I didn't, I didn't really stand a chance. Okay. Um, so that was no big deal for me. Everyone accepted me. Everyone loved me. But being disabled was just something that I always was so deeply ashamed of. And I wanted to, you know, get off of me immediately. Yeah. And then getting hit by a car felt like the perfect opportunity to shed this label that I never identified with. So in the show, you pretend that your CP was just car accident yeah, side effects mm-hmm. and in your real life that also happened yeah that happened Yeah. so you were lying to people in your real life about that as well yeah 
I mean, it was How like many years? it was lie by omission. Um, let's see. I moved to New York when I was twenty one. Okay, and I came out about having cerebral palsy to when I was twenty eight. So seven years. Yeah, wow. it was nuts. <laughs> and so, like, when you're one, I guess, tell me how you come out with having CP while also having to say, and I was lying to you for a few years or omitting things for well, a few years. Well, people uh, are really understanding. <laughs> I think that, like, no <laughs> one's going to be like, die, sinner, like, burn him at the stake. How dare you? Yeah. And also, by the way, is the perfect lie because it doesn't come up. No one comes up to you and it's like, how's your cerebral palsy going? Like, and also cerebral palsy like looks different on everybody. So yeah. like, no one really knows what it looks like unless mm-hmm. you've had personal experience with it. So it's not like someone was asking me point blank, do yeah. you have cerebral palsy? And I was like, no, like it just never came up. Yeah. So in that way, it felt like, you know, easier and mm-hmm. not as like, you know, malicious or yeah. whatever. So um, everyone, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like how it happens in the show. Like no one cared. No yeah. one cared. Everyone was like, okay, anyways, what do you want to get? Sliders? And it's just like, <laughs> I feel I feel sad for 20-something me that, that had to live, you know, at the I hate myself fair for so long mm. um, for no real reason. For It was like a self-inflicted prison, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And um, it was just a bummer. It's a lot of lost years being sad and not liking myself for who I was when really everyone around me was accepting and yeah. ready for me to be myself. Yeah. I will say, though, that that experience, the 20s not being your fullest self and not knowing how to, that's kind of universal as well. Yeah. Even the straights go through weird 20s. Your 20s are truly miserable. Like, I remember girls came out, me and Lena are the same age, and girls came out when I was 24. And I love that your first name with Lena Dunham. Look at you. Sorry, Lena Dunham. Are y'all frenzies? What? Are y'all frenzies? Oh, no, no, we're not like, you know, it's no, like, (laughs) we just like are like friends online. I love it. it. You know? Anyways, as you were. So the second episode of the first season, you know, Hannah says she's 24 Mm -hmm. and the gynecologist goes, you couldn't pay me to be 24 again. And I was 24 and I remember being like, why? Being 24 is kind of (laughs) cool. I like it. And I'm just like, oh, lol. Like the more distance I have from my 20s, the more I'm like, oh my God, that was so miserable well you're holding your breath for an entire decade yeah you really are holding your breath you are one you're broke and don't know what your life's purpose is yet and on top of that you're trying to fulfill unknown expectations so you just perform versions of yourself every day yes of course and that is a thing that happens even if you're not closeted even if you're not hiding cp like yeah like it's just a weird decade. In your 20s, you're just charging all these experiences on the trauma credit card. Okay? And you're <laughs> yes. not thinking about it. You're like, I'll do that. I was maxed I'll do out. That. Yeah. You're like, I'll do that. Sure. Charge it. Charge it. Charge yep. it. Charge it. You don't understand like the psychic damage you're doing to yourself. Mm. Your 30s, the trauma credit card company calls, honey. Yes. And it says, time to collect. Mm-hmm. And you're like, You know where collections me. is? Your therapist office. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> honey. She's doing the work. Yes. You have to do the work. You have to look under the hood because the hood in your <laughs> early on. 30s is smoking, honey. Yeah. It's on fire. Yes. In your 20s, you're too high. Well, in and your 20s, up to you notice. were obsessed with like polishing the tires. Yes, of course, and making them look good, even mm-hmm. though the inside was mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like ashes mm-hmm. to ashes, we all fall down. There you go. So in your 30s, it's all about it's an engine doing... overhaul. Yeah, it really is. And you have to do the work. And I really like getting better as yeah. a person and yeah. improving and, and really understanding like when things happen to me 
what role did I play in this? Like, is my side of the street clean? Like, come on, you know what I mean? Because yes. a lot of people don't examine that, yes. they, and they live they live in victimhood, and they just think yeah. about life as a series of bad things that happened to them, and they have no agency and no role in any of that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a really dangerous place to live. And I think that when you are that way, um, the cycle repeats itself, and yes. it never stops. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Ryan's journey to Netflix. The burden of representation and the double-edged sword of disability. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Netflix original podcast, Tales of Your City. Partnering with independent queer storytellers, the podcast is an exploration of queer identity and community across New York, San Francisco, and four other cities in America. The podcast name is adapted from the beloved book series, Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin, and the new Netflix limited series of the same title. Listen to Tales of Your City now, with new episode drops every Monday. A language was about to die. Once it gets wiped out, that's it. We will have nothing in our language to pass to our children. And the people trying to save it were still learning how to speak it. And we had to hurry up. Time was working against us. We were like 100 years late, you know. It's Code Switch. Listen and subscribe. The episodes of your show are 15 minutes apiece. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, that wasn't my choice. So when so we went out and we pitched it in 2015, and everyone passed. Everyone. How everyone. many was everyone? Six networks. Six cable networks. Okay. Um, How'd that feel? Not great. All right. Um, I think that we had to wait for the culture to catch up. Mm. I think that in 2015, Hollywood was just understanding that it was racist and sexist. And I think mm. like, they were just realizing, Amy Schumer, she's funny. Like, women are funny. They can lead <laughs> a movie. Like, wee, 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 wee. So I think that gay disabled was just so too down much the list. Them. It was, like, confusing, and they didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we just had, to, like, with everything in my career that's worked out well, honey, it's all timing. Yes. You have to hit the zeitgeist in the right moment. And yeah. 2015 was not the moment for gay disabled people. Okay. It just wasn't. Okay. Now it is. 2019, but it wasn't come through. Yes. So everyone passed. And then we went to this digital branch of Warner Brothers Culture Stage 13, which was specializing in short form content at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, okay, we'll commission you to write eight, 15 minute scripts. Okay. At that point, I would have done two minutes episodes I mean I, 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 I wanted to get it made that yeah. was my point so yeah. if I had to do it as 15 minute episodes mm-hmm. um, so be it and you know I actually am really grateful because I think writing short episodes really was like boot camp for being a writer mm. I mean I come from the land of half hour but when you're doing such pared down episodes you have to be very economical with your storytelling so and it's like, harder yeah it's a lot harder you can't be loosey goosey like every every line needs to get you somewhere else mm. and I think um, it was extraordinarily difficult at first mm. but I think uh, at the end it really just made me understand the mechanics of storytelling in a way that I didn't before Really. and uh, yeah I'm really proud of the work that we did and how much we were able to accomplish in two hours so you start writing it as 15-minute episodes for the offshoot of, of the WB. Of Warner Brothers, yeah. How does it end up with Netflix? Well, so they were basically kind of like a digital incubator. And gotcha. so there was still no, like, home. She mm-hmm. was still homeless. So uh-huh. then, so then um, we sent the scripts to Netflix, and then they bought them as is. Um, okay. They had never done short form at the time. Really? So, so, But they were really excited about the scripts. And Netflix has been just incredible partners. Like, they just stay out of your way. They give you no because they're too busy. Well, they got so many shows. No, girl. no, I I hear that, but yeah. actually they've been really hands on and very okay. involved with special and like they've really like you know our show is made for no money and mm. 
Um, it always felt like we were the ones that snuck into like Netflix headquarters while like the bouncer was sleeping. <laughs> but um, they've really, really treated it like a show of like Grace and Frankie caliber. Like they gave us billboards. You know that's my North Star. Really? I haven't watched it. I know it's Get so bad. Get on it. Get on I know, it. I need to. I need to. We mentioned Nancy Myers before. Those oh, kitchens, good. those okay. houses. Okay. Get Chic. into it. Yes. Um, so to me, to have them support it in such a way where, you know, there's a billboard in Times Square, there's yeah. billboards all over LA. Yeah. It's incredible. They really do believe in it. And um, again, they really trust my vision and they don't micromanage me and yeah. they just let me do what I need to do. One of the things that I talk with writers and actors a lot, especially right now in this moment, is like how they go about thinking about representation. Yeah. The R word. Mm -hmm. It's this moment in which it matters a lot. And it's still a moment in which there are people making things for the first time for folks that look like them. Yeah. And it brings a pressure. Oh, my God. The burden of representation. Right. That's very real. I mean... It's really hard when there are no seats at the table mm-hmm. and you're given one seat where you're taught to believe that it's one mm-hmm. seat. You know, it's like a zero-sum game. Yeah. All of a sudden, all the pressure's in that one chair. Exactly. And it needs to represent all the other people that couldn't get a chair. And um, that's just unrealistic. That's not what storytelling is. You mm-hmm. can only tell one person's story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point is, is like I was really nervous about it mm-hmm. and I was really worried that there was going to be some backlash from the disabled community. Really? What um, kind of backlash did you expect? Just like, this doesn't represent me. This isn't my experience. How would it not represent? Like, like you weren't CP enough? Or something. I don't know. This mm. is all just like my neuroses. Yeah. Um, but the experience has been overwhelmingly positive. Really? Everyone has been so loving and supportive and um, it's been beyond my wildest dreams in terms of the reception. Like, there has been no backlash in a way that almost feels, like, sinister. And you're like, wait, <laughs> when, when's that going to happen? Huh. Um, it's been incredible. I feel very, very Why lucky. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that disabled people are just happy to have something, to have something mm. that it does, even if, you know, my disability doesn't exactly look like theirs, I think there's a lot of universal threads to being disabled. And mm. I think that you know Ryan the character goes through a lot of mental gymnastics every day to appear palatable to the world around him and I think every disabled person can relate to that Mm. like how can I move through this world with everyone else around me feeling okay by my existence Mm. Um, it's like how can I navigate this space Mm. in a way that I can get to point A to point B Um, that's in the show that's in the the DNA of the show and I think disabled people can really understand that and Mm. appreciate that being reflected back at them Um, and I really hope that was special like it's just the tip of the iceberg I really hope that people can see special as hopefully a successful TV show and say you know what there can be other disabled stories let's get a disabled person of color let's do this I mean there shouldn't be like only three or four shows that speak for 25% of the population that's just bad. So twenty five percent being those folks one who are disabled. F- one in four identify as disabled. Yeah. Wow. And it's crazy. We have nothing. There's like very very few shows. So to me, it just feels bad. Like bad business yeah. too. Like if I have my business cap on, um, which like doesn't exactly fit, but if I put <laughs> it on, um, I'm like, wait, this is such an underserved population of people. Like, and they have nothing. Yeah. So. W- give them something and they'll show up it's like when I watch a movie like if I hear there's like the faintest whiff of a gay character or a gay storyline on a TV Mm -hmm. show or a movie I show up opening day with popcorn it's like Crazy Rich Asians yes I saw it opening week in here in LA (laughs) yes room full of Asian American folks because they get nothing they get nothing and they finally get something and they gobble it up honey and they want and you know what they go 
three and four and five times. Yes. My Aunt Betty went to see Black Panther in the theaters. I bet you probably seven or eight times. Because it's so meaningful. Yes. It's so meaningful. Yes. But yes. And it makes them money. Mm-hmm. It, they always make money. They never they never <laughs> they don't were, make yes, money. They make like, money. literally, like, historically, they never don't yes. make, like, there's never been, like, a flop. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, literally, like, exactly. no way. I mean, <laughs> the movies could be literal trash garbage. And it's making money. They're not, but they yeah. could literally be, like, written, mm-hmm. like, by, like, a group of aliens. Yeah. And just, like, because it'll be on TBS for years. It'll yeah. be on the back of the airplane seat. Yeah. It's got, it, it'll live People until it makes want money. want to see themselves being reflected back at them. They yes. are desperate for it. It yeah. brings meaning and value to their lives yeah. it's not complicated yeah. so there needs to be just be more diversity that's just it period end of story and it's good business yes it is good business is Ryan the character more comfortable being around other disabled people or around people with no, no disability able-bodied wow yeah well yeah because he just again he's uncomfortable with his disability yeah. so when he's around other disabled people yeah. he just it represents everything he doesn't like about himself so he wants to get away yeah. he also was raised in a world that is able-bodied and he mm-hmm. didn't like I mean I personally didn't have any disabled friends growing up mm-hmm. I went to school with able-bodied people mm-hmm. uh, I would see disabled people at physical therapy but um, like we wouldn't talk like I, I was I was yeah we are wow. raised in an ableist society yeah. yeah so I didn't have much exposure and I still don't in fact I went to um, the Writers Guild uh, disability committee last night okay. and they had a meet and greet with showrunners and I was one of them and yeah. so I got to meet all these amazing disabled writers and it was one of the first times that I was just mm. around disabled people how did it feel incredible it used to make me feel bad so uh, so when I would meet a disabled person first of all there's this added pressure for you to connect kind of like when you used to be like when you were gay and they're or when like, you see another black person it's Mike. like yeah like, I know you girl it's like, yeah I don't know no, you actually I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you yeah yeah it's like oh like you're gay like Jeff and accounting is gay you guys should go on a date and uh-huh. you're like mm, okay yeah <laughs> so there's there's that feeling of like okay what if I don't connect with this disabled person like mm-hmm. is it my internalized ableism mm-hmm. or is it just because literally we just don't you. get along and we don't yeah, yeah like we, we're not the same person mm-hmm. blah blah and then another layer of it would be that I would feel some form of survivor's guilt because I've never met someone with as mild of a case as me. Oh. So I would always feel just immensely guilty. Hmm. And I would feel like about myself, blah, 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 blah. That's changed. That really has changed. Like, I don't compare and despair anymore. I don't live in guilt or... Hmm. I feel very lucky and privileged to live the life that I do with the mild case of cerebral palsy that I do. And I just... I don't go into a meeting with another disabled person with that much baggage. I just hope to connect. And last night was really, really powerful because there are so many similarities. There are, even if people have a different disability, Mm -hmm. like, again, the way we move through the world, no matter what disability we have, is so similar. Mm. It looks the same. Mm. Like, the again, the mental gymnastics, the thoughts Mm. are so similar. It, like, almost shook me last night. It was really empowering. And I just feel so lucky to be a part of a group of people that are so strong that's the thing with disabled people it's like people don't get it it's like they think that they're weak or that they need to be coddled or treated with kid gloves they're the strongest group of people I've ever met in my life and not in a condescending way again not in an inspiration porn way it's like we see how the world sees us which is that we're not capable that um, we can't hang Mm -hmm. and we combat that by working ten times as hard Mm. At least I know I have. Yeah. I'm like, I have a Superman complex because it's like, oh, like, you think I'm disabled? Well, I'm going to get my own TV show and I'm going to do this and I'm going to write a book by the age of 25. Uh I'll show you. 
it's like but it's up too because like to me it's a double-edged sword because it's like it's great and it's giving me i think cerebral palsy in a way has given me everything i've accomplished at the age of 32 Mm -hmm. it's again proving people wrong but it's also a damaging mindset to live in proving people wrong is not a mindset to live an entire well it's unhealthy because because i think like whenever there's a moment where i feel weak Mm -hmm. like this sounds stupid but whenever i get sick with a cold or whatever Mm -hmm. whenever something just knocks me out Mm -hmm. It, it debilitates me psychologically because it really? makes me feel weak. It takes me back to that space of being weak. Uh, and I don't like it. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm-mm, you know? Or like whenever, I don't really fall anymore, really. But like yeah. once in a blue moon, I'll fall. And when I do, it's humiliating. Mm. And it makes me feel so small. Mm. And I need to, what I need to work on is I need to get, be okay with not going 120 miles per hour. And okay with falling every now and then. Exactly. And I need to not feel like I have to be so strong all the time and that I can be weak and I can ask for help and I can do all that stuff. Like, that's the thing. So it is a, the mindset is a double-edged sword because it gets you amazing things. It makes you very accomplished. But it also kind of sets you up in a sort of prison where you're only allowed to be operating on one mode. And that mode is go, go, go. I hear you talking about this and there's just so many parallels to being black. Oh, I'm sure. I'm so sure. I mean, like, being a marginalized person in general, yeah. I'm sure being a woman, it's the same way. Yeah. Like, well, because you get the talk as a kid, you know, you got to work twice as hard to get half as much, own it, internalize it, just do it, and there is no room for failure. Yeah. You know? All, all the while, just remaining cool, calm, collected, mm-hmm. being amiable, making mm-hmm. everyone fall in love with you. Oh, yeah. I feel like my, my mode... Listen, I smile 25 hours a day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know. You, yeah. I know. But here's the deal. So, like, I feel like, you know, my whole thing is, like, you know, I go into a room. I'm like, okay, how do I make everyone just get obsessed with me and, like, feel mm-hmm. at ease and, like, feel comfortable around me? Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering, like, how much of that comes from being disabled? And then how much of it is part of who I am? Because I can't decide. I can't distinguish yeah. anymore. Oh, yeah. Because this is who I am. Yeah. So, I can't even, like reroute my brain in a way where I'm not that person I mean I can try and I, it's complicated it, it is it's sort of like where do where does where do I begin and my disability ends or well, yeah well also like know, they're so they're no, so enmeshed yeah. there's no way that I can conceptualize myself without me being black yeah you don't there's, have any other there's no other way reference. there's no other way for you to be you without the CP being there as well yeah all right one more break when we come back how Ryan wants to make gay sex on TV and in movies just Sex. Regular O sex. BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Capital One Saver Card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new French restaurant and 4% on bowling with your friends. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases. Now when you go out, you cash in. Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. I'm Gregory Warner. On Rough Translation, we follow a rescue mission in real time. After an Iraqi photojournalist goes missing on the front lines. We don't believe it. I don't believe it. He leaves his family and his friends to try to save him. When he said, who is this? Or like, who are you? They respond, we are the Islamic State. From NPR's Rough Translation, listen and subscribe. There's a sex scene yeah. in the show. Yeah. Uh, and it very delicately and gracefully handles losing your virginity as someone with CP. And the twist 
is that it happens with your character and a sex worker. Yeah, yeah, totally. Brian Jordan Alvarez, he really yeah. knocked that one out of the park. Well, well, I'm gonna just go out too far and say, like, how much of that experience was real life? Oh no, I lost my virginity to like for free, <laughs> <laughs> not to be a bitch. <laughs> but like some of that awkwardness in that scene. But no, that I, I have used, well? I, I, I have used sex workers in the past, and I adore them, and I think they provide a great service. Don't shame it; they're people. I think that, yeah. like, and I think, like, you know, I mean, doing that scene was so important to me and I really attribute my director Anna because of for like mm-hmm. completely getting it and being on the same page and my DP Philip Roy and like we just like I just knew what I wanted it to be and I was getting so frustrated by the lack of gay sex in TV and a film mm. and the pan away to the moon and call me by your name and all mm-hmm. that stuff and I was just like I want to show gay sex how it's done I don't want it to be like overly salacious queer as folk porn yeah. and I don't want it to be something that is hidden so mm. I feel like I just wrote a gay sex scene like how gay sex is actually done yeah like there's a lot of communication I think gay sex is really hot and I think it's really awkward and I think it's really funny and I think it's all like requires a lot of communication and I just really really wanted to depict that in a way that felt honest and accurate to my experiences and my other gay friends experiences yeah so I feel like we did it I feel very proud of that scene I feel like we got exactly what we wanted and I'm really happy the response has been so positive because in season two I really want to have a lot more sex and not in like a salacious way Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's still so much that has not been shown Mm -hmm. um that I really, really just want to normalize it. I want to normalize gay sex. And I, and actually, I want to get to a place... I mean, it made sense for this season because he was losing his virginity, but I also want to get to a place where people are having sex and they're gay and it's not a big deal. It's not like an event. Yeah. And then that's it. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know? And like and like still, even in the year of our Beyonce 2019, yeah, it's still, in some parts of L.A., a big deal for two guys to hold hands on the street. Totally, totally, totally. Like, I'm like, get over it. And also, who cares if you're uncomfortable? I've had to sit through so much, like, heterosexual sex scenes. Like, (laughs) honey, you can sit back and enjoy the ride. I don't care. I don't... Here's the thing. I feel like a lot of gay content gets made of it. A, it's about our trauma. Mm. B, a straight person's playing it. Mm -hmm. Or C, a straight person is writing it. Mm. It's so important that our stories get told by us. Um, and I want to make gay things for gay people. Fubu. I'm, not, I'm not interested Court us by, by us. And I don't, I'm not interested in doling the edges to placate straight people at all. Like, uh, my stuff is yeah. not for straight people. They can watch it, they can enjoy it. Why would I ever try to, you know, take the wind out of the sails of our experiences mm. so everyone can feel comfortable? Mm. I'm done. I've, I've moved through mm. this world feeling uncomfortable for other people, mm. and she's done. And so now, Come watch on. my gay Come Watch on. my gay, disabled Come and on. deal with it. Do you think that that mindset, as your career continues to advance and grow, will hit a wall? Where some studio says, actually, de-gay a little bit and we'll no. pay you more money, give you a bigger platform, give you more. Like, do you ever feel like the industry will ask you to dull the edges? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, of course. I think I think if it's like I'm selling like a mainstream rom-com or yeah. something. But By the way, I'm not interested in, I mean, maybe I'm shooting myself on the foot right now. because Sorry. I'm. But I'm not really interested in selling something to CBS. I'm not no really interested. No shade on CBS. You know what I mean? No, but I'm not interested in like doing something that is catered towards middle America because that's what those things are. You make things in the hopes that everyone can relate to it. Spoiler alert, which I don't know why they haven't realized it. When you make something that dulls the edges Mm. and you make something that everyone can relate to, quote unquote, it ends up being relatable to 
no one. Because it's nothing. Because it has no point of view. Yeah. It has no voice. It's a view from nowhere. It is nothing. It's just air. It really is just air. Yeah. And the more specific you get in your voice and you yeah. allow that voice to sing, yeah. the more universal it becomes. And people need to realize that. Masterclass. <laughs> Masterclass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last question for you about the show and about your character on the show, Ryan. Talking with you today has been wonderful in large part because you're such an open book about your growth and your journey and you sound like you're in a really good place right now. Uh, Ryan, your character's still getting there. Mm-hmm. If you today right now could talk to Ryan on the show face-to-face in the moment he lives in at the end of season one, what would you say to him? I would say never fight who you are because it's a fight you'll never win. Mm. So, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> good words for all of our listeners. Uh, I love this. Yeah, I love Thank you so much for having me. This we we went deep, honey. We went really I didn't deep. expect to go this mm-hmm. deep. I'm, I'm used to just like live, laugh, love interviews, <laughs> and I feel like we really just we like... did that. We covered a lot of subjects. Lots of ground. Wow. It was delightful. All right, thank you for having we me. We did it. Smooch. Thanks again to Ryan O'Connell. You can watch Special right now on Netflix. And his book, his memoir, it's called I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. As always, listeners, you're special too. And I want to remind you to share your special moments from your week, any week. Send me the best thing that happened to you this week, next week, last week, whatever. Just record yourself and send that file, that audio file, to me at samsanders at npr.org. You might hear yourself in the show. Okay. See you Friday. Well, I won't. You'll hear you. We'll talk Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. <laughs>